Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 51. And we like to have fun. Oh, Just kidding. God. I had to kick it old school. <laughs> AKA, like, episode 41. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a poet and didn't know it. Oh, my God. I was doing that this weekend at work. And my oh, coworker, Lord. Annie, was like, oh, my God. Because, like, I just kept, like, trying to make rhymes out of everything. Yeah. Good times. Man. Good story. The best. First off, Tawny in our group, she started this thread. And it is so freaking funny. It's, like, almost a let's not meet kind of thing. But it's way, like, PG. Sometimes 13. Like, PG or not as scary. Like, PG, as in, you could have been murdered, but not. And it doesn't have to be, like, impending doom. It could have been, like... How the fuck did I not get something? Yeah. So, I thought that would be a good thing to do at the end of this episode. We're going to tell you a story each. Cool. I'm down. Okay. Because, I mean, obviously, we didn't die. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Hopefully, we didn't. Right. You never know. Changeling. (laughs) Oh, damn. Mm-hmm. The TV show that I was thinking about mm-hmm. was The Alienist. Yeah. I mean, I say that like I, I don't know. But <laughs> yeah, I saw people tell you in the group. Yes. Thank y'all so much because I was at a loss. I got to go rewatch everything because apparently I don't remember all of it. And I didn't finish it, so. I don't even remember us talking about it. Oh, shit. Okay. You know what else? What? New Patreoners. Some of our new Patreoners include Lacey K from California, who upped her monthly patronage. When you said that, it sounded like up all, all night. night. Yes. Okay. Kelly M from rural Wyoming. <laughs> <laughs> Is she really from rural? No. Just Wyoming. Mm-mm. And she got okay. Kristen H from Texas. Brandy B. from Texas? Why do you sound like it's a question? They're neighbors? <laughs> <laughs> Samantha C. from Tennessee. Ooh. Ooh. Rhyming. You're a poet and you didn't know it. I rhyme all the time. <laughs> One more huge thing. Cricket? Cricket? No. Okay. So you remember how last episode we hit 50? episodes Mm -hmm. we broke a hundred thousand downloads yep well this episode we reached our second patreon goal so thank you everybody we will get to do now all the things that we were wanting to do yeah for patreon like three bonus episodes yeah so we yeah like she said three bonus episodes I was about to repeat literally the whole thing you just said. I mean, so, Carrie's still a parrot, but... I mean, one day I'll come up with my own words. So we are so excited to be able to start rolling some of that stuff out this freaking month. Yeah. Oh, God. Also, this freaking month is going to be, I think, where it's at as far as the bloopers. Because Will has already said <laughs> it is March 5th, and Will already has 12 clips. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Y'all... We haven't even had cheesecake. (laughs) And I'm still getting over the plague. (laughs) So So anyway, it's going to be a great month. Thank you all so much for all your love and freaking support. And you know all the places to go. But if you need any help with knowing where anything is. (laughs) I'm sorry. If you need any help. (laughs) 
go to our website, www.aparanormalchicks.com, and you can go to show notes, merch store, Patreon. You can contact us for your sinister sightings. Yeah, that too. Okay, that's all. Business meeting adjourned. Yay! The story that I'm doing today is one that I've heard of and gets on my nerves, but it's worth telling. Oh, fuck. Not not in the way that you get your blood boiling. Okay. But I will say, back in October, Wanima emailed us and was like, you need to do this story. And I was like, I know I do. <laughs> so I'm doing it. Oh, shit. Pins and needles over here. Tell me, tell me, tell me. Okay. Have you ever heard of the weepy voiced killer? I have heard of it. As in, I know. It's a thing? Yeah, but I know nothing of it other than he's got a voice and it sounds weepy. Okay. Or it could be a girl. I don't know. Oh, true. A couple of different podcasts have done stories on this. Like, I know Case File did it. Wine and Crime did it. I think Sword and Scale did it. My Favorite Murder may have done it. Lots of them. Okay. So you've, you've, I'm sure. All the podcasts. Yeah. All the podcasts you listen to have done it. (laughs) And now us. Mm -hmm. Or Carrie. Okay. So there's a guy. His name is Paul Michael Stefani. Stefani. So he was born and raised in Austin, Minnesota. He was one of 10 kids. He was born in like a, his family was very, very religious. There's not a whole lot about childhood though. It was pretty normal. He got married to a girl named Beverly Leiter and they had one daughter. Don't know her name. Don't know none of that. Shit. Don't know Nern. At one point, he was arrested and convicted of aggravated assault, but there's not a whole lot really known about that. So, picture it. New Year's Eve, 1980. There was a young girl named Karen Potak, and she went to university in Minnesota, but she was in St. Paul, Minnesota, to hang out with her sister, do all the New Year's shindigs that one does when Mm -hmm. they're young. Get a New Year's kiss? I mean. So, Karen was at the party, living her best life, and was like, you know, I'm kind of over this party, though. I'm going to go. So, she leaves the party and is walking just around the city by herself. To Taco Bell? I mean. (laughs) Oh, is that Or Waffle House. Oh, Waffle House. When you're drunk? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. One time? I was drunk at Waffle House, and if you can imagine me lit, just imagine it, and Big Girl wanted some food, and apparently I just really needed toast, and someone told me, Tiffany was like, you need toast, because you need I was to lit. suck up all the alcohol, mm-hmm. yeah. And I was like, where's my toast? And they're like slammed, and I'm like, I just want my toast. That, oh God, I was like... Oh, cringe. Okay. One of my favorite stories about one of my friends, my friend Sheila, we had gone out. I drove. Did I drive? (laughs) Needless to say, I wasn't as drunk. Because she's like you. She could drink half of a drink and be fucking lit. Yeah. Anyway, so we get back to my house, and I had no food, because who keeps food in their house? Not me. (laughs) And she's like... I want a sandwich. Can I have a sandwich? And I was like, no, I don't have any bread. So, you, I don't ha- you know, I'm out of bread. Yeah. She's like, okay, then can I have some toast? 
Oh my Shit. god! Like, still, <laughs> we still talk about that. How funny it is that she was so shit. Okay, anyway. Oh, All right. sorry. Back to the story. Tangent time. Waffle House carbs. So it's after midnight. She's over the party, so she decides to leave. She's walking around the city. She's drunk, but she also doesn't have a coat, and it's Minnesota New Year's Eve. So oh it's fuck! Fucking cold. So a guy pulls up and is like. Uh, hello, it's fucking cold. Why don't you have a jacket on? Come get in my car and warm up. Yeah. And she's like, oh, well, that's awfully chivalrous of this guy, you know? Yeah. Let me just jump right in. A stranger's car. She gets in the car and he's like, okay, you know, hang out a second. Like, it's gonna, like, it'll warm, it'll warm up. I don't know if he was like, I just cranked it. I don't know. Yeah. He was like, just hang out for a minute. It'll warm up. While she's in the car warming up, the guy that was driving, you know, we're in the driver's seat, pulls out a tire iron. What? And starts beating her with it. Are you fucking kidding me? No. So, like, beat her so much, she had, like, a cracked skull. (gasps) I think she was hit with the tire iron, like, ten times. No joke, like, ten times. Like, wait? So, he takes her body, and he dumps it. Well... I don't understand, people. Like, why kill her if you're going to just dump her body? So, three hours after that happened, the police get a call. It's from this guy that's, like, weeping. Balling, like, losing his fucking mind. You're joking, but yes. (laughs) And he's like, there's a girl hurt over by the Malberg Manufacturing Company. Which was, it was like a machine shop area. And so police go there and they find Karen's body completely naked in a snowbank, like near these railroad tracks. And she's, I mean, severely beaten, cracked skull, all of that, and is still alive. <gasps> yes. But also, if he, she's naked, I know why he did what he did, probably. I don't know, though, but probably. Yeah. So the police take her, you know, ambulance, whatever, take her to the hospital, and she survives, but because of the brain injury that she sustained when he hit her in the head with the skull, she has no memory of it. So it's a blessing in that she doesn't remember her attack, but she doesn't remember her attack, and so who the fuck did it? Yeah. I thought you were going to say she was, like, brain dead or something, so that is so much better. Yes. Yeah. All right, now we're going to flash forward, like, right at six months. And this is June 3rd, 1981. So this is, like, almost six months to the day. Okay. There's a young girl. She's 18. Her name's Kimberly Compton. And she is from a really small town in Minnesota, like, a thousand. Yeah. almost said members. (laughs) (laughs) It's a cult. No. She's from a really small town in Minnesota. And she turns 18 and she's like, bye, I'm going to St. Paul. Ooh. So she gets on a bus, little Greyhound bus, and come goes to the big city. And as soon as she gets off the bus, she goes and gets her little locker, number 750, gets her little locker, puts her bags in there, and Aww. is like, I'm fucking starving. Now I got to get some food. Waffle House. Close. There's a diner across the street named Mickey's Diner. And so she goes in, 
They had a special going on that night, barbecue beef and fries. So that's what she orders. Damn, that sounds good. And so she's sitting there, you know, eating her barbecue fries, probably dipped it in some ranch. Oh, for sure. And there's a guy at the diner that notices that she's alone. And he's like, hey, you know, how's it going? Blah, blah. And she's like, good. You know, I just got here. Uh-huh. Um, to St. Paul, like I'm super excited. Moving here, 18, allegedly. I don't know if she said all that. <laughs> but, you know, they have small yeah. talk and she's like, you know, new to the area, like never don't know where anything is. Right. Like I don't I don't know what I'm doing and I don't know anything about the city kind of thing. And he's like, I'll show you around. Like yeah. I've lived here, blah, blah blah. Let me show you the city. And she's like, Hell yeah. So she gets in the car with him and they leave the diner. So, after you eat barbecue beef, I would not be going anywhere. But to the bathroom? Mm-hmm. They're like, uh, we need to wait here 30 minutes, okay? Mm-hmm. Okay. Not long after that, the police get another weepy call. And the person says, God damn, will y'all find me? I just stabbed somebody with an ice pick. I can't stop myself. I keep killing somebody. Police found Kimberly Compton's body. I, I want to say maybe some... I don't know, a hiker, a jogger, I don't know, whatever those active people are that usually <laughs> find bodies. Maybe some kids playing in the wood. I can't remember exactly. Yeah. But found her body. She had been stabbed 61 times. What the fuck? With an ice pick. And so when they found the body, though, there was no identification on it. But what they did find was a locker key from oh the gosh. Greyhound bus place. So they go over there. You know, open the locker, Mm -hmm. see the, get all of her stuff. And so they figure out who she is. Well, and then based on her autopsy, they found the undigested food. And so they knew like, okay, well, there's this diner across the street. She must have eaten there. So they were kind of able to put the pieces of her movements together based on what was in her food. Okay, that's the special they had last night. You know. You got me on that one because I thought, oh, she survived because how would we know her food? Well, okay, forensic files. (laughs) (laughs) So they ask the the waitress and everything. They're like, "Do you do you know who she left with?" Yada yada yada. And they're like, "No, we have no idea." So then, two days after the weepy killer called to say, "Like, I'm so sorry." (laughs) Yeah, but called to be like, "Somebody stop me," kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I said "stop" so weird. (laughs) Stop me. But anyway, he called back to say. I'm sorry for stabbing Compton. And he said that he would turn himself in, but of course he didn't. Mm -hmm. The next day he called back to say that some of the newspapers had some of the details wrong. Oh, fuck. After Kimberly Compton was murdered, the police thought it was this guy, Lopez. He had a whole name, but I forgot and only wrote down Lopez. This guy had an extensive history with with mental health issues. And... He had been in and out of state facilities due to, you know, due to his mental illness. And one time when he was inside the, one of the facilities, he confessed to killing Kimberly Compton. And so the police were like, we got him. Yeah. Solved. And they were like, well, we think he's the one that attacked Karen too. Yeah. So... They started looking, and the police were like, fuck, he was actually in an institution the day Mm -mm. that Karen was attacked. And then they were like, but wait, 
he was out on a day pass. Oh, shit. So they were like, okay, well, it fucking was him. Yeah. And so they, like, arrested him and all this because he had had some, like, assault charges and stuff like that. Like, he was deemed mentally incompetent to stay in trial. Like, he had had some, some yeah. again, it, a pretty serious history with mental issues or mental health issues. So the police were like, done. Well, I forget who started it, but was like, mm, I don't actually think it was him. Maybe he recanted. I can't, I can't remember how it went down. But basically, they were like, this is a little too, like, tied up. Here's a bow. Right. And so they started, like, it took, like, one newspaper doing, like, half a second's work digging to realize that when Kimberly Compton was murdered, he was, yeah, he was out of that state facility, but he was actually in police custody. Oh, fuck. For something else. So, like, wow. the whole thing fell apart. It wasn't him. Um, <laughs> Shit. But he, and this is sad, but he ended up dying by suicide in one of the facilities, oh, you know, in the no. facility later. Not, not like, just after he had confessed and stuff. So, it was, I mean, he was in a. Yeah, but bless it. Good gosh. I don't even want to, I don't know how to say it. Like a, not like a cycle, but, you know, he was in a. Like a spiral. Yeah, a. a Something state. I don't. I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but I mean, he clearly had a lot of stuff going on. If he was confessing to a murder that he didn't do, and then yeah. ended up that it ended in suicide. You know. Yeah. So after all that happened, there was a woman. Her name was Barbara Simmons. She's 40 years old. She was a nurse. Lived in Minneapolis, and she was doing her thing. She was at this place called the Hexagon Bar. She was. You know, having fun, hanging out, drinking, dancing. Yeah, living her best fucking life. Absolutely. This guy comes up, asks her if she has an extra cigarette. She's like, sure do, handsome. I don't know if she said that. (laughs) I made that last part up. (laughs) But she was asked for a cigarette. They hit it off. We're dancing the night away. And... Damn, I just thought that would be a good pickup. Not good, but like a good cheesy one. Mm -hmm. Like, do you have a cigarette? They'll be like, no, why? Because you're smoking. Oh, my fucking God. <laughs> I mean, I said it was cheesy. So she's, you know. She's smoking. Mm-hmm. Dancing. Lighten up the, ha, lighten up the dance floor. <laughs> <laughs> Where there's smoke, there's fire. Okay. Damn. Too far. She goes up to get a drink. She tells her little waitress, she's like, he is cute. I hope he's nice. Because he's giving me a ride home. Oh, fuck. So they dance some more. The waitress saw them leaving the bar together. The next day, her body was found underneath some underbrush next to the Mississippi River. Like it had been thrown in. Like it was going to like roll down in like to be, you know, to go into the river. But the underbrush caught it. So that's probably the only reason why her body was found, though. Oh, gosh. She had been stabbed to death. And after the murder, the the police got another phone call. And the voice said, please don't talk. Just listen. I'm sorry I killed that girl. I stabbed her 40 times. Kimberly Compton was the first one over in St. Paul. Because these are the the twin cities, Mm -hmm. you know, St. Paul and Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you're just like crossing one street and you're into it. You know, So, so even though it was like right there, it was still two cities, two jurisdictions. 
jurious, you know, whatever that word is. <laughs> so they had taken, the police had taken like hundreds, basically, of pictures to the waitress at the bar to let her flip through them. Well, she's looking through them and she actually identified Paul Stefani as who Barbara had been talking to, dancing with before she left. So the police were like, started looking into him and realized that he had been fired from his job at Malberg Manufacturing Plant in March of 77, three years before Karen was found there. Mm -hmm. So the police start watching him. But they don't really, I mean, they have nothing to go on, though, because the whole time all these attacks and, well, assaults and murders had occurred, there was no fucking evidence left. Like, the only thing was the phone calls. Right. They're kind of keeping an eye on him, but clearly not very well, because somehow he slinks off to go to the red district. No, red light district. (laughs) He ends up soliciting a sex worker by the name of Denise Williams. I know someone with that name, so I was, it was just. There's also another murderer. There's a murderer named Denise Williams, too, because when I was looking her up, like specifically to find a little bit more out about her, Mm -hmm. it was taking me to this other murder. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. So this is August 20th of 1982. So this has been, you know, over a year. He goes up to Denise and offers her $100 to have some fun. So, she's 19 at the time. She's been working as a sex worker since she's 13. Oh, gosh. So, they she gets into his car, and they go to his apartment. He gave her $40, and he was like, okay, I'll promise I'll give you the, the 60 later. And so, they engaged in their sex act. Mm-hmm. And she was like, shit, what else the hell else is he going to make me do? He didn't even have the full 100. Like, what else is he yeah. going to make me do? But to her surprise, he was like, okay, I'll give you your ride back to your street. And so she was like, well, okay. Right. Thanks. Well, when they're heading back, instead of getting on the freeway, he starts taking, like, side streets and back roads and all the things. While they're in the car, he's talking about all of his sexual fantasies like she gives a damn. She doesn't. Right. But whatever. It's all about him. Mm-hmm. Also, that has to be one of the scariest moments of Wait, that's my exit. Mm-hmm. Like, where are we going? I know. Oh, gosh. Well, and it's like, if if you can, at that point, like, open the door, even if you're on the freeway. I mean, I mean well, maybe not 80 miles an hour on the freeway. Right. But even if you're on a side street going 40 miles an hour or something, if there's a place and you can open the door and jump out, yeah. do it. Because whatever injury you sustain from that jump is a whole lot better than death or rape or All of that, you know? Yeah, for sure. So she, Denise starts getting like kind of the heebie-jeebies. She's like, this, something's not right. Like he's talking about all these fantasies now and not going, you know, she's like, she lived there a long time. She knows these streets. Exactly. And so she asked where they were going and he told her the street where she was before and he goes another couple of blocks and then quickly like turns into a, a dead end parking lot. And when he stops the car, he looks at Denise and says, "As grass or gas, you pick. No one rides for free." So like he was saying like, "Yeah, pick one uh-huh. for the ride." What were the options? Ass, grass, or gas? Gas. Okay. 
See, grass is what tricked me. Gas is where you're tripping up. No, I couldn't think of what you, but I get ass and grass. Yeah. That's funny because grass, I was like, what? (laughs) So when she, when she sees him kind of starting to turn on that, she's like, you know, she's getting the creepy feeling. She's, I mean, the girl's been on the streets living as a sex worker for six years. Yeah. Thank you for doing that math for me. And I mean, don't trust it. You're right. So. She's got some fucking street smarts, you know, so she's like starting to look around the car and being like, okay, what do I see? You know, she ends up finding a glass bottle and she's like, okay, if he tries anything, I'm going to fucking hit him over the head with it, you know? Well, when they get stopped and he's like, ask gas or grass, whatever the fuck he said, she goes to get out of the car and he grabs her left hand and stabs her in the stomach with a screwdriver. (gasps) Oh, fuck. Shit. Also, no one rides for free. Well, you rode me for half price. And you fucking offered to bring me back. Yes. She could have fucking taken public trans- transit, which is what her plan was, you know? Yes. Fuck Oh, God. So, she, like, falls back into the seat, and he's, like, steadily stabbing her. Oh, my God. And she gets the... The, the Coke bottle, or whatever it was. Whatever glass bottle. I'm assuming a Coke bottle. Hits him over the head with it. She tries to get him in the eye with the bottle, but she misses and just gets his cheek, his head, and his hand. He's steadily stabbing her. She's screaming, like, you know, let me go, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. He's yelling at her, you're just like the rest of some other brides. She's, (laughs) whatever. I would have been like, hold on. Is this 1920? Because who the fuck says brides? Yes. So, she's scratching him, biting him, kicking him, like, Go doing girl. everything she fucking can. Yes. She, so, he opens the passenger door, and she falls out on the pavement. And so, he's on top of her, stabbing her. Still? Yes. And so, at that point, she's like, okay, fucking fighting back's not working. Because she, you know, she's fighting him with this bottle. Yeah. She's like, okay, it's not working. I'm going to play dead. And so, she's like, she yells at him, I'm dying, I'm dying. And so, she just, like, lays there to pr- pretend that she's dead. But he doesn't stop stabbing her and so she's like okay well this isn't fucking working so she starts screaming well that about that time this guy named douglas panning who was young guy lived like right by where they were in an apartment is like holy shit what is this you know he heard it and so he came out of his apartment and ran across the parking lot saw all the blood and stuff and saw that like he was on top of her stabbing her and so he saw Stefani stab Denise five or six times that he saw. Shit. So. Brutal. He heard the screwdriver make a thud because it hit bone one time. Oh, God. Fuck, I can Oh, God. He saw that Denise had the, like, the neck of a broken bottle mm-hmm. in her hand. And so he grabbed Stefani's left arm so, Stefani jumped up and then started coming at the Good Samaritan, Douglas yeah. Canning, with the screwdriver. So, he takes a couple of swings at him and misses. And then, the Douglas, the Good Samaritan, starts fucking running. And Stefani starts chasing him. So, he was able to outrun him and get into his apartment, close the door, lock it, all that, call the police. And he's like, call the police, like, this is what the fuck is happening. So, Stefani runs back to his car, drives off. So, he saw him drive off. He goes back to help Denise. Well, when the police came and take Denise to the hospital, 
she told them that her name was Mary Gross because she had a warrant out for her arrest. So she didn't give them her real name at first because she was scared she would get in trouble. Yeah. Because she had like a, a failure to appear, like bench yeah. warrant type thing for like her probation yeah. supervision stuff. She knows mm-hmm. if she gives them the right name, one. Right. I mean, you know, it's right. just easy to be like, oh, well, okay. Right. You know. Well, and then two, when they asked, like, who was this guy kind of thing, like, how like how all this happened, she just told him that she had been hitchhiking to go to this party on White Bear Lake and that he had picked her up because she didn't want. And, oh, and she said, too, like, he started making advances I didn't let him, and that's when he started stabbing. But because she didn't want to tell him that yeah. she was a sex worker because she thought that they... I mean, it's fuck, it's 1982. It's true. Well, and it's 1982, so that shit would go down now, much fucking less 1982, when right. they probably called her a whore to her face. The police. You know yeah. what I mean? Because, again, it was just such a different time. And even oh, now, sure. we still fuck up, you know? Yeah. No, Denise is fucking awesome. Well, so when she... They took her to the hospital... She had 15 puncture wounds. Oh, my God. From a screwdriver. It was a Phillips head screwdriver. Fuck. So, the injuries were her lower right chest, upper right abdomen, right side of her head. One wound punctured her lung, another her liver. But because it was just like those puncture type wounds, there wasn't a whole lot of bleeding, you know? Yeah. Well, in the meantime, Stefani gets back home. And he's a puss in boots. And so he's like, I'm bleeding, calls an ambulance. And is like, I'm bleeding. I got beat up. Like, come help me. Was he crying on this one too? Probably. To be honest, it's so obnoxious I quit listening. Oh, shit. Like, I, can't, I could, could not. So anyway, so when Stefani calls to say, send me the ambulance, they're like, skirt. I recognize this voice. Oh, fuck. So, when he gets to the hospital, obviously, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to be able to put the pieces together. Like, this motherfucker, same voice, he has these injuries. They're, like, exactly what Denise's injuries, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It coincides with their tussle. So, after the police put all that stuff together, he is arrested and goes to trial for the murder of... Barbara Simmons, and the attempted murder of Denise Williams. His ex-wife, his sister, and the woman, a woman that lived with him, so I'm guessing girlfriend, I don't know, all testified to that being his voice on the calls. There's there's some with the case about, like, some kind of interesting forensics of, of, like, voice identification and yada, yada, yada about the callers, but whatever. (laughs) So, he was sentenced to 40 years in prison. But they also knew, though, that he had com- he had killed Kimberly Compton because if he's the one making those calls, well, he said on the call that he killed her. And he also, on the call, said that he had attacked Karen. But because he had already been sentenced to 40 years, prosecutors were like, we're not going to, I hate to say waste, but not going to use taxpayer money to convict him when he's already, you know, he's been convicted, probably not getting out. So, of course, the family is like, well, shit, like he's, you know, not getting, you know, they didn't get the closure that they yeah. wanted. Well, in 1997, while he was in jail, 
or in prison, he was diagnosed with skin cancer and was told that he had less than a year to live. And so he decided to confess to everything to give the families some peace. He was trying to make amends before he yeah. died. Hey, I'm all for that. Then. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So he confessed to beating and attacking Karen Potak in 1980, stabbing and killing Kimberly Compton in 81, drowning Kathleen Greening in 1982, stabbing and killing Barbara Simmons in 1982, and stabbing Denise Williams in 1982. Well, police were like, who the fuck is Kathleen Greening? I was like, wait, why do I not know this? Yeah. So Kathleen Greening was actually his victim in between Kimberly Compton and Barbara Simmons, Ooh. but he never made the phone call he about didn't have her. A he couldn't call someone who cared, so he never called about her. So, and the mo is so different that they didn't even know that he was associated with. Yeah. This. So Kathleen, well, when he confessed to all of these, because there was some audio I listened to with him confessing to killing Kathleen. And, of course, he's just very, like, cold. And, I mean, it sounds like he's telling you what he ate for lunch, you know. Yeah. And he's telling you how he killed this woman. But we don't know how they knew each other. We don't know really anything of how they ended up together. But he ended up in her apartment. And he drowned her in her bathtub. Like. Holy shit. Yeah. And now, of course, her body had already been found and all that, you know. Yeah. And they found in her little black book that was in police, like in evidence, in her phone numbers, it said P. Stefani and then had a phone number. Well, that phone number was the same phone number that Paul Stefani had given the emergency room when he went in oh. for those injuries. So they were able to corroborate his yeah. confession because, you know, sometimes people can, you know. Oh, for sure. False confessions, yada, yada, yada. So those families got the closure that they needed even when they didn't know that it was him that they needed closure right. from. And then he ended up passing from cancer in 1998. So he did live another year. Wow. And died in prison. Where he fucking belongs. Oh, for sure. Now you got to listen to one of the calls. Don't talk, just listen. I'm sorry what I did to Compton. I couldn't help it. Don't know why I had to stab her. I am so upset about it. I keep getting drunk every day. I can't believe I did like a big dream. I can't think of being locked up. If I get locked up, I'd kill myself. I'd rather kill myself than get locked up. I'd try not to kill anybody else. I told you that you were, ex you, like, you think you were <laughs> exaggerating, but you sounded just fucking like him. He reminded me of the Cowardly Lion. Uh-huh. When she, like, bops, like, boops him because he's running after Toto. And he's uh -huh. like... Why'd you do that for? Oh, I'm so scared. Like, that yes, is way legit how he sounded. I'm like, dude, he's a cowardly lion. I told you. <laughs> Don't talk, just listen. But he's like, somebody stop me. All these so it's like, he just doesn't want 
it to be his responsibility. Yeah. Like, y'all should have stopped me. You should have done this. I can't help myself. Fuck you. But it's not like, I mean, he fucking, those were like horrible killings. Yeah. You know, but he doesn't present like what you would think of a murderer that kills a girl with a fucking ice pick. You know, like, he has remorse. No matter how stupid it sounds. And, I mean, you know what I mean? He has remorse. And then, if you also think about he did confess in the end. Was he clear in his own conscience? God, are you me? I don't know. Fucking, you did math today and I couldn't say (laughs) conscience. But, you know, like, he, yes, he's clearing his own shit before he dies. So that he... Yeah. Whatever. So, whether that's remorse or covering his own ass he still did it and yeah if it was still counts. if it was a true like i don't know psycho sociopath what's what the fuck ever it is they wouldn't care yeah they wouldn't be worried about the after you know what i mean yeah and so i, I don't know so that's why i think he's interesting in that it's kind of like this like dichotomy awful cult like it's it's almost like the juxtaposition of the weepy confessor yeah and the fucking brutal ice pick and yeah screwdriver murderer you know and it doesn't say anything about him like being abused by women or anything no like there's not a whole whole, whole lot known about him from what i could find like yeah me just finding that he was one of 10 kids and was raised pretty religiously that's all i found yeah well you know honestly the religious thing could Could be be. why because i mean you can't Mm -hmm. break away from what you were raised at the very end if Mm -hmm. you have that instilled in you like it's still in the back of your head and if you're facing you you know like your mortality is right in your face you're going to go back to yeah i have to be absolved whatever but it's just how he does it like it's like something switches in him mm-hmm. and he's brutal mm-hmm. and then it goes back to like he couldn't control himself yeah. and so that's why and so it just like if someone even not physically abused him but like verbally abused him mm-hmm. or something made him feel small yeah and so like something clicks mm-hmm. and then he goes crazy and then he reverts back to the one who was abused. The victim. Yeah. He's the aggressor, but then reverts back to the victim. Yeah. I don't know. That is... That's so interesting. But his fucking voices. You know what? Someone needs to be really good and put him mixed with a fucking owl guy. Um, mm-hmm. When he's like, oh, the stairs, you know? And yes. it's like, how many? Oh, uh, oh. Uh, like that mixed with yes, <laughs> like, <laughs> it needs to be a mac mash up, like, max up, whatever. God, it needs mash to be up. a mash up. Yeah, he almost like his. It's so weepy and over the top <laughs> that it sounds fake. Yes, like if I heard that, I would be like, first of all, what the fuck are you actually saying? Because well, <laughs> that that last call that was is the, this the longest. Where he says, like, I stabbed her 40 times, and, oh, by the way, I also killed Kimberly. Yeah. That call, legit, like, 80% of it. I don't know what the fuck he's saying. (laughs) Well, first off, this is why 
I could not be a 911 person. Oh, hell no. He's like, don't talk, just listen. Fuck you. Let me tell you something. You are not the boss of me, motherfucker. Yeah, uh, hang up. How about that? How about that? Which is why we don't have those jobs. Because we would yeah. lose them. Because we'd be like, oh, fuck you. Yeah. So, he's a piece of shit. He did. Good two, fucking riddance. Two survived. Thank God there were some survivors. Also, I feel like he had almost a compulsion with the number of times. Like, just the... It was never a a couple or like well shit because he's using a fucking ice pick. I mean, it's not like he's using this like a fucking butcher yeah kn- butcher's knife. You know what I mean? But I mean, there are ways of killing them faster with an ice pick than where True. he's going and stuff. Oh, I can't. I can't even stabbing to me. Oh god, I cannot. When when I walk on something that's sharp, I'm like ah, you know. God, I sounded like him. He stabbed Denise so fucking hard that the Good Samaritan guy heard it hit the bone. Yeah, that... Mm-mm. Mm-mm. At first, though, I thought you were going to say the pavement, and I was like, <laughs> no. I Honestly, I don't know which one's worse. Bone. I mean, pavement. Because he went straight through her. Uh-huh. I mean, I don't know why I had to explain that. Oh, God. And you know, parking lots are nasty. Okay, Pretty sure all the germs are already everywhere. He might have sanitized his screwdriver before. I mean, he's a weepy killer. He's got a sensitive side. True. (laughs) Oh, my God. I hope y'all enjoyed those recordings because I'm going to use him as my ringtone. Damn. It would be an alarm clock for sure. I'd be like, oh, my God. Shut the fuck (laughs) up. I don't even like, oh, no, shut the is, fuck up. Yeah, that is my personal hell. Yes. First of all, it's a 911 call. You know I don't like those. Mm-hmm. But second of all. Whiny motherfucker. It is the most Shrill. obnoxious. Yes. Hurt my fucking eardrums. <laughs> if he was in a goddamn car with me and oh, that was God. that loud. You'd get the ice pick. I would show him. Who's boss? <laughs> uh-huh. What a fucking flathead screwdriver can do. <laughs> I see you're Phillips said, and I raise you a flathead. <laughs> Too far? Okay. You should probably go now. <laughs> I don't want to see that flathead. You just want a head. <laughs> I have no idea what you're doing today. <laughs> like, I like when, I mean, not that I ever know, but there's sometimes where I'm just like, no, I really have no fucking idea. Yeah. And this is one of those times. <laughs> well, because I said I was kind of going into your pond again. Oh, yeah. I forgot. All right. Picture it. December 24th, 1945, Fayetteville, West Virginia. Why did we both do, like, holiday things? When you said New Year's Eve, I was like, what the fuck? That's funny. Like, that's so strange. Yeah. Because I was like, should I wait to do this until Christmas? No. You know, and then you do New Year's, too. Mm -hmm. It's just weird how that worked out. Yeah. All right. And even though it was Christmas Eve, this turned out to be not such a silent night for the Sauter family. I'm loving all these Christmas puns. All right. So, for real, picture it. George and Jenny Sauter and nine of their ten children. Jesus. Hey, my guy was a uh-huh. ten, too. Holy shit. I know. When you were saying this, I was like... Well, what the fuck? I know. And a second ago, though, I was humming a Christmas song. 
like for no good reason. Right. And this was like during my story. Yeah, it's crazy. So the other kid who's not there, he's the oldest son and he's over in the war. So when it's time for the children to go to bed, they are pleading with their mom, can we stay up a little bit later? Which it's Christmas Eve. Get your ass to bed. Don't you want Santa to come? I was about to say. Like, I'm like, uh, it's five o'clock. Can I go to bed? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? But their oldest sister who worked at a little dime store, she had brought them gifts. And so they were like playing with it. So five of the children wanted to stay up late. And that was Maurice, Martha, Louis, Jenny, and Betty. And they ranged from 14 to six. So around 10 o'clock, the mom, the dad was already asleep and the two oldest brothers of the nine that was there, they were asleep. They've been working with their dad. So they were fucking tired. Mm -hmm. Their mom was like, all right, y'all can stay up, but you have to close up the home because I'm leaving the lights on, you know, like Mm -hmm. close up the curtains, do all, do all the shit. Turn off the lights, lock the door, close up the curtains. Right. Later, around 1230 in the morning, the phone rang. So Jenny is on the first floor. That's where their bedroom is. She, you know, like one eyes it, goes across the hall, answers the phone. A woman on the other end, she asked for someone who doesn't live there. And so Jenny's like, I don't know who you're talking about. And so the woman laughs really strangely and then hangs up quick. But on the other end of it, Jenny kind of hears, like, talking in the background and, like, it's just, like, a fucking party or something. So, she's like, it's Christmas Eve. Like, people are probably partying. It's a prank call. Yeah. Yeah. Like, all right, let's go back to bed. So, she's about to go back to sleep because, again, sleep is important. Mm -hmm. She's like, wait, all the lights are still on. The curtains are still open. Goes over to the door. It's still unlocked. So she's like, these motherfucking kids. Mm-hmm. Like, what the fuck? You know? She locks the door, closes the curtains, turns off the lights, and she notices that Marion, the oldest sister, is laying on the couch asleep. So she sees Marion asleep. Like, all right. She must have fallen asleep down here. They went up. Like... All's well, going back to bed. She starts to drift off, and then she hears something like a thud on the roof. And it's Santa. (laughs) And she's, again, on the first floor, so it's a lighter thing. But, I mean, you can hear. Mm -hmm. And it's a small town. Mm -hmm. It's quiet. Yeah, so, I mean, I know I can hear a fucking acorn sometimes of, mm-hmm. you know, shit. And you're like, what the fuck was that? So, yeah, she hears it land on the roof and then it rolls down. Okay. Is this the beginning to the Santa Claus? <laughs> Is Tim Allen going to become Santa Claus? Actually, yes. So, she's like, okay, I don't really know what that is, but maybe it's like, you know, I mean, a fucking acorn. I was going to say. You know, whatever. I mean, you're out in the country. You right. You know, like it's could be ten thousand things. Right. So she's like, "Look, 
tomorrow is going to be a fucking hell. Well, this morning is going to be hellacious going to bed. She starts drifting off again. And this is around 1.30. And she smells smoke. And so she shook George awake, ran to the door of the bedroom, and the hallway is filled with smoke. Flames are covering the stairway leading up to the rooms upstairs where the kids were. So they shout up there like, come on down. You're the next contestant. No, you know, come on. Hurry up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jenny, George, and four of their children escaped. But the other five were never seen again. Maurice, Martha, Louis, Jenny, and Betty, all the ones who stayed up late. Well, George, he's like, fuck, I got to go back in there. You know, mm-hmm. head count, it's not all my fucking clan. So he breaks a window. So he slices his arm in the process, but he goes inside. Then he's like, I can't fucking see because there's so much smoke and so much fire. And now it's in all of the downstairs. So he's like, fuck. All right. Let me think about this. Two-year-old Sylvia, she slept in the room with us. She's outside. Marion was on the couch. She's outside. John and George Jr., they were upstairs and they fled down. Like, so that must mean... The other kids, because the ones who stayed up late, they were supposed to be in the attic. Like, Mm -hmm. it's upstairs, but, you know, whatever. So, he's like, fuck. They are probably up there. And they were younger. Like, they're by their bed, freaked out. All I can picture is hovering, you know, like, crouched down, freaked out. And so, he's like, fuck it. I got to get out of here. I got to go up to the second floor. Can't go through the stairs, Mm -hmm. but I have a ladder. Yeah. So he goes over to where the ladder usually is propped up against the house. It's not there. So he's like, all right, fuck. That's weird. But I have two coal trucks because he owned like a coal business. Mm -hmm. He's like, I can move one of those. Climb up up on it. it, And get up to the thing. Tries one, doesn't start. He's like, all right, try number two. Won't start. And he just drove them yesterday. Yeah. So he's like, fuck, I, I don't know what to do. Like, there's nothing I can do. So in a last ditch effort, he's like, hey, we have some rain barrels. I can at least get it to where I can get to them. Mm-hmm. Well, he goes over there. It's all frozen solid. Oh, God. Yeah. And it's... Freezing. So, I mean, of course it'd be frozen, but it's like. It's just like one thing after another. It's like all these roadblocks. Mm -hmm. And all George, Jenny, and the four kids could do is watch the fire burn. And the fire was so brutal. The house was basically ash in under an hour. Damn. So, all that was left was like burnt wood, and the basement. Marion sprinted to the neighbor's home because they have to call the fire department. But the neighbor couldn't get a response. And so... To the fire department? Mm-hmm. And so another neighbor who saw the fire made a call 
they were in a nearby tavern, is what it said. The pol- the the fire department was no this oh. this neighbor. Oh, okay, saw a fucking fire. Yeah, I was like, ooh, let me call the fire department. No operator. Nothing. What? So that neighbor was like, "What the fuck? I'm going to drive up there and see what's going in. What's going, going in? in? <laughs> you auto corrected yourself. <laughs> oh shit." What's going on? Well, they had to track down the fire chief, F.J. Morris, and this is their fire alarm, okay? Like, there's no, like, release the hounds. Mm -hmm. He goes, boop, 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 a fucking phone tree. Okay, well, first of all, you sounded like Nationwide when you did that. (laughs) You know I love Nationwide. Mm -hmm. Not sponsored, and I don't even have them for insurance, so... (laughs) A phone tree. A fucking phone tree. <laughs> so, hey, there's a fire. Mm-hmm. Do, 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 do. Yep. And you know some of these people, because it's early in the fucking morning. Mm-hmm. They have to, it's probably a fucking rotary phone. Mm-hmm. Missed fuck. I was just about to say. Let me do it again. Mm-hmm. No, I would fucking be like six. God damn it. No, seven. Mm-hmm. Well, it took the fire department until 8 in the morning <gasps> to get there. Mm-hmm. They were only two and a half miles away. Uh, what? Mm-hmm. I could have crawled there faster. Yes. Literally crawled there faster. Mm-hmm. Most of this was due because it's Christmas Eve. And so people were off, blah, blah, blah. And most of the firefighters were fighting in the war so it was like volunteer firefighters and it was just yeah again a fucking roadblock shit but still a phone tree here's the kicker the chief they say was the only one supposedly working even though he had to be tracked the fuck down Mm -hmm. he didn't know how to drive the truck so he had to boop, boop 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 to someone who could drive the truck Are you fucking Mm -mm. kidding me? No, no, no. All right. So the police followed the firemen to the scene and kind of did a quick investigation of it. And the coroner was like, the five children had to burn up in this fire. And the fire chief was like, it had to be caused by faulty wiring. You know? Well, George was like, "Mm, I don't think so. Because when they were running out... They didn't have electricity? The Christmas lights were still on. And he was saying if it was a faulty wire, all the lights would have been off. Because it would have then Mm. sparked and the lights would have went off. Yeah. And whatever. But while they're watching their fucking house burn, then the lights went off. Yeah. So he's like, "Mm, I don't know about that. Also, he had had... Some rewiring done recently and like had it inspected. Mm -hmm. So he was like, "Mm, I feel like unless he was a shoddy repairman. Right. He told me it was okay. All right. So they had like a, not court, but like these are like, this is what I think caused the fire. Mm -hmm. And there was like a jury that had to. Yeah, that's what we think it was. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the people on the jury had a previous run-in with George. And it was kind of suspicious. He was a life insurance salesman. 
and, you know, knocking door to door Mm -hmm. and shit. Well, he became annoyed when George was like, look, I don't want your fucking insurance. Mm -hmm. You know, he was like, this house will go up in smoke (gasps) and your children are going to be destroyed. What? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's like, "Mm, those are awfully specific. Well, let me just say that the Sauter family, you know, lived in Fayetteville, West Virginia, and the area had a large population of Italian immigrants, and they themselves were from Italy. But George never really said what happened to make him leave Italy, because they didn't come over together. He came over when he was younger and stuff. Okay. And so... It's like his past was kind of shady, it felt like. Anyway, so people had their suspicions about him as a person, but he had made himself like a prominent, wealthy man. Mm -hmm. So, you you know, you can't really say a whole lot about him because, you know, he's well-to-do. But he did make enemies because... He was very outspoken against Mussolini at the time, mm. mainly because, well, I don't know. I don't know George. But because his eldest son was over there fighting for America, mm-hmm. you know, versus Mussolini. So, of course, he's going to be right. like, fuck him, you know, because they're shooting at his son. Right. Well... Since it was a lot of Italian people up in here, they were like, fuck you for not liking Mussolini. And like, like, how can you forget your heritage yeah. and all this shit? All right. So right now it's still kind of shady. Like, could have been someone else. George had enemies. This life insurance guy basically made threats that came true. He foreshadowed the foreskin. Yes. And so... They were like, we just don't believe our kids died in this fire. One main thing is that no human remains were found. And even in a fucking crematorium, Mm -hmm. there's some bones left. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why you have to have fucking paper to say, here lies the remains of Patty Elwin, Mm -hmm. and we didn't kill someone and put them in a box. Right. Which is so crazy. But, yeah, I mean, anyway. But, so, Jenny called a crematorium, and they said, look, it takes at least two hours at a very high temperature. I was going to say that that couldn't reach. Yeah, for a skeleton to disintegrate. And, again, like you said, it's always going to have some bone left. Like, Mm -hmm. it's going to happen. But the fire burned for less than an hour. Yeah. So even if it did get super hot, which it's not going to get as hot as that. So did it just die out then? Because it took the fire department seven hours to get there. Yeah. It just kind of smoldered. Gotcha. You know, but which is still hot, but yeah, definitely not burn fucking bones hot. Yes. Like, come on. We watch true crime. We know. Mm hmm. People always try to burn the bodies, but then... There's always some shit left. uh Uh-huh. And also, Jenny was kind of going through, you know, looking themselves, and 
she found some kitchen appliances that still had their shape a little bit. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, it burned bone enough that there's no trace left. But this kitchen appliance. Right. Still, like, we can tell that was the stove. Mm-hmm. So, again, what the fuck? So they're like, someone started this. Faulty wiring, it is not. Yeah. And then a telephone repairman was inspecting a phone line that was hanging that was supposed to be connected to the house. And he said that it had been deliberately cut. (gasps) And he was like, look, that would require someone to climb, like, up a pole and, like, reach down, get the wire. And he's like, that's a fucking mission. So it was premeditated of... This is how we're going to do it. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. Also, the missing ladder was found thrown in a ditch pretty close to the house. Hmm. And it's like, um, why would they throw it in the ditch? And it usually is leaning against the house. Because they use it to climb up the telephone pole. Damn, I didn't put that together. Well, the case started gaining more media attention and a bus driver was like, look, I passed that house and I saw a group of people throwing balls of fire at the house. What? Mm-hmm. And Jenny was like... That's I, what I heard on the roof. Yeah, I heard something, you know. And as the snow melted, it was now spring, two years old Sylvia was playing in the yard and she found a hard green rubber ball. And George was like... "Uh." I've seen this before. It's a pineapple bomb. Pineapple pen. Girl, I knew, like, when I wrote that, I was like, this motherfucker's gonna say it. Which was used in war and could have set the house on fire, could have done this. So, everything's lining up of something sketchy going on. Yeah. Well, then there were a few sightings. A woman who knew the Sauter family said that as that house was burning... She saw the kids in a car kind of like pressed against the glass and one had their head out looking at the house like, whoa, but they were being driven off, you know. And then at a diner 50 miles west of Fayetteville, a waitress said that she had served breakfast to five kids on Christmas Day, Christmas morning. Yeah. And she was like, I can't remember how many adults were with them, which makes sense because it's Christmas. So, of course, you're going to be like, mm-hmm. blah, 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 Santa, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Then, one time, a woman working in a hotel an hour from the Sauter house saw the children's pictures. And she was like, hey, I served those kids a week after that accident, mm-hmm. like after the fire. And she said that the kids were accompanied by two women and two men, all of Italian descent. And she said, I don't remember the exact date, but they registered at the hotel and they stayed in a large room with several beds. She said they registered about midnight. And she was like, I tried to talk to the kids in a friendly manner, but the men like spoke in Italian and then everyone kind of shut down, didn't talk to her. And then, like, she was like, all right, I mean, here's your keys, you know? Yeah. They left early the next morning. So, 
you know, I mean, that was that. Well, all these sightings gave George and Jenny hope. And they're like, all right, we're going to make sure, like, let's do our own analysis. Let's just make sure the kids couldn't have burned up. Like, you know, just, I mean, I can't even imagine. No, I know. Well, Jenny, this was so weird, but she burned chicken bones in an oven to see if they would be completely destroyed. Mm -hmm. Nothing. They were still intact. And then George heard of another house that had burned down and they had skeletons found. So, like, yeah, the bodies were still there. So, George and Jenny were like, let's go to the police and we're going to demand that they investigate this further. But the police refused and was like, no crime's been committed. Faulty wiring. I'm sorry, but case closed. Well, after everyone's kind of remembering things, George Jr. and John was like, you know, we spotted a car close to school and they seem to be watching the younger kids more than us. And they kind of followed us as we walked down the highway. And so George was like, okay, I bet it's the Italian mafia or something, which you, he had a shady past that he was hush hush about. So like, if he says it's the mafia, it's like, oh shit, you probably were in the mafia or something, you know, like, oh my God. Well, so he was adamant about that. Well, people had kind of thought he was part of the mafia before and he didn't do himself any favors because like four days after they were waiting for the police to come back and do another sweep through more thorough Mm -hmm. and they just kept him hauling around, not doing anything. And so George was like, look, I can't handle this. I'm going to bulldoze this down and I'm going to make a memorial for my kids. And so he bulldozed everything, covered it up with soil, dirt, you know, Mm -hmm. all that and did like a garden. But people were like, you waited four days. Like, what are you covering up? He only waited four days. Mm -hmm. Yep. But he kept calling the police and they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get there. We'll get there. You know, and so (sighs) he was just like... I mean, again, I can't imagine going through things, you know, so I don't know. All right. Well, two years after the fire, they're still 100% sure that their kids are alive. And so they send to the FBI, like, their case, please look at it. Well, J. Edgar Hoover actually replies, and he's like, look, we want to help but the local authorities have to sign off on it because it's their jurisdiction. Yeah. So the Sauter family is fucking thrilled. But the police and fire department refuse to allow the FBI to investigate. Wow. So then they're like, this is so a fucking cover up. Like, why would they not let the FBI come in? Right. They're like, fuck it. We're going to hire our own investigator. And his name was C.C. Tinsley. He was actually the one who discovered that the insurance salesman who was like, your kids are going to burn, blah, blah, blah. He was on the jury that found it was faulty wiring. Mm -hmm. And so then they were like, 
Well, he had it out for me. He yeah. said it was going to burn down. Of course, he's going to say it's faulty wiring because, hello. Way to ensure that he never gets yes. charged with anything. He's like, hee hee, you see? Mm-hmm. Faulty wiring. <laughs> he also discovered something that makes you go like, the fuck? Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. A priest told Tinsley that the fire chief, F.J. Morris, had confessed to him discovering a human heart <gasps> in the rubble. Tinsley talks to F.J. Morris, and he makes him lead him to where he buried the heart because he said he found it in a metal box and put it at the scene, like, put it in a metal box. And sure enough, it's where he said it was going to be. Why would a priest have been the one that told? Yes. And also, bone burned up, but a heart was good? I'll, hold on. That'll make no damn sense. Turned out that the heart was actually beef liver. Oh, shit. And it wasn't charred, so it wasn't in the fire at all. Oh, God. So, Tinsley's like, what? And F.J. Morris is like, look. I put it there because I wanted the family to find it when they're going through things. And then they would know, like, their kids died and they would stop all this shit. Mm -hmm. One, though, why would you put it in a metal box? And two, you have one heart of five that didn't make it. Yes. So, it was, again, like, what? All right. So, fast forward to 1949. And this is now four years after the fire. They hired a pathologist from Washington and ordered more forensic excavation of Mm -hmm. the area. Mm -hmm. And he found several small shards of human vertebrae. And the bones were sent to the Smithsonian Institute. Damn. And they said, yes, it's four lumbar vertebrae and it belonged to one person. However, the transverse recesses or whatever Mm -hmm. refused. And that means that the body would have belonged to someone between 17 and 22. Okay. And the oldest one was like 14. So they said it shows too much skeletal maturation that you could have for like a 14-year-old boy would not have. Right. And they also noted that the bones did not look like they had any char on them or anything. Yeah. After they did other tests and everything, it kind of was concluded that the bones were most likely in the soil that he used to create the memorial garden Mm -hmm. before, which is so creepy. Yeah. Like, because it was a human bone. And also, I've gotten a lot of soil for my house being built. That's gross. That's not how gross. A, not gross. that's how a haunting starts. Yeah, that not gross. And I'm not talking about your soul, I'm talking about the story. It's like yeah. what? Yeah. Also though, it's like if that's true, shit. Mm-hmm. If they found that and they're like, Hey, did you bury a body here? Right. No, randomly it was put there. I right. just bought soil. Well, George and Jenny would not quit. They put up a billboard near their former home on Route 16, which featured photos of the five children. And they announced a $5,000 reward for the safe return of their children. 
because they're like, look, they're alive mm-hmm. and whatever we have to do, we want them. Yeah. And they, I think they also put kind of like, is this a cover up? Blah, blah, blah. Like all of their concerns on this billboard. Oh, shit. Mm hmm. Must well, have been small font. It kind of what, like it went big. It was the eye chart. Okay. Mm hmm. Well, time passed and nothing. Mm hmm. George, Jenny, and their surviving children kept searching. Well, a Houston woman wrote to George and she said, look, a man I know, he got drunk one night and confessed that he was Lewis Sauter, who was nine at the time of the fire. Hmm. He claimed that he was living there with his brother Maurice. And so George and his son-in-law Grover Paxton traveled to Texas and was like, we are going to find him. Then they could no longer find the woman who gave the tip. Well, local police recognized her descriptions and of the man she was talking about. And so they helped them locate the man. But he denied ever having that conversation and denied that he was Lewis Stoddard. Oh, my God. Lewis Stoddard. Have I been saying Stoddard this whole time? I don't think so. Okay. Another time, George saw a picture of a young ballet dancer from New York City and she looked so much like Betty, one of the daughters. George drove to see her, but was turned away from the girl's parents. Which, I mean, yeah, like, if, hey, I'm an old man, but I saw your daughter, and she looks like my daughter. You know, that's an SVU right. waiting to happen. Right, right. Then, in 1968, 23 years after the fire, Shit. Jenny got an envelope and it was mailed from a city in Kentucky. There was no return address. And inside was a photograph of a young man. On the back was written, Louis Sauter. I love Brother Frankie. And then, I don't even know how to pronounce this, but it's like I, Lil, like I-L-I-L, boys. And then A90132. Or possibly A90135. So they're like, what the fuck does this mean? Yeah. Let me take it to the cops. They're like, look, it's a cruel hoax. You know, your shit's been all over the news. Like, you know what I mean? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, they still have this billboard and shit. Right. So, but George and Jenny were like, no, this looks like what Lewis would look like. He has his nose. You know, I mean, it's. Yeah. A parent knows, almost. So, once again, they hire a private investigator. They're like, go to this city in Kentucky, which apparently I did not write down, (laughs) and track down who sent this. Or, like, if you can find this young man. Well, the investigator left West Virginia and was never heard from again. (gasps) And so, people say, oh, he took their money and ran. Maybe. However... It's not like they paid him a lot of money. Like, the reward was $5,000. So, even if they paid him $5,000, mm-hmm. what does someone do with 5000 Like, live on it for a month? Right. You know? I mean, I, I don't know. And then, like, so he's from West Virginia, has, like, family there, but... You know what I mean? Like, I don't right. know. It's just very 
odd for like a $5,000 thing. Mm-hmm. Now, if it was like $100,000, yeah, he took that money, honey. But I don't know. Even though everyone said, it's because you have a billboard up here. It's, yeah. You know, you keep bringing him up. You keep bringing all of this up. It's nothing. They are dead. But the Sauter family was like, no, it's that is him. And so they add that picture to the billboard. And they put an enlarged version of it over their fireplace, which just breaks oh my, my heart. Gosh. And that would be the final lead they would ever receive. Oh, my God. In 1968, George Sauter, he spoke to the Charleston Gazette Mail And he said, we can't go any further. Time is running out for us. He said, but we only want to know if they did die in the fire, we want to be convinced. Otherwise, we want to know what happened to them. Yes. The following year, George died. Jenny, from then on, dressed in black every day. And for the remainder of her life, she spent her days tending to that memorial garden at the site of the fire. She died in 1989, and then the remaining Sauter children took down the billboard, and that was the last anyone saw of them. Holy shit. Well, I was on Reddit, Uh and someone had put that there was a more recent case where a house burned down, and the mother couldn't get out her infant. Like, oh my gosh. And this happened in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in 1997. Investigators were like, we've no remains. Yeah. And it's just been completely burned. I'm so sorry for your loss. Like this little infant, like 10 days old. Oh, God. And the mother was like, no, no, no. Like the baby was gone or like, I can't even remember. But like, no, she did not die. Yeah. Well, six years later, they were at a birthday party, and she noticed a little girl that resembled, like, her daughter, like, that she thought. Well, so she told the girl, hey, there's something in your hair, and she discreetly got some of her hair, got a DNA test, Mm -hmm. and the girl was her daughter. (gasps) Yeah. And they found out... That the fire had been arson, didn't know who started it, but after they found the daughter, they discovered a woman had started the fire in order to kidnap her, and, like, now she's reunited. Oh. My. God. So, it's like, I mean, it sounds crazy, but here's proof of one, you know? But again, that was a baby. It was one. It wasn't... Five kids. It wasn't five. However, they were thinking, what if someone got them outside? You know, mm-hmm. if Marion was asleep, like, yeah, y'all play with the things. Yeah. And then, like, I mean, hello. What do you do when you're babysitting your siblings? Mm-hmm. You go the fuck to sleep or you're on the phone, which it's 1945. Right. So she's asleep. So if they go outside and then they're like... If you make a sound, we're going to kill the rest of your family. He, they killed them with they love. Exactly. And so, if y'all can tell us what movie that is, you get a point. Points don't matter. It's like, whose line is it anyway? You get a tally. How about that? That's some, like, Gone Girl shit. 
Yes. Well, also on Web Sleuth, so this person said they did a quick search of the numbers that were found on his picture, Lewis Stoddard's picture, mm-hmm. and it was the A9 blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And it was like mostly part numbers that came up, and it's like, okay, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. But when they dropped the A, it matched for a zip code in Italy <gasps> that's no longer in use as of 2006. But in 1945, it was. It was. And we all know, like he was saying, the mafia. Yes. He's from Italy. And so it's like that number is just so strange. Stands to reason that it would be. Yes. Others are like, maybe the kids were being abused or something and people got them out. I don't think that. Why wouldn't they get them all? Yes. Especially because like a two-year-old was left. Yes. So... I don't know, but that's the strange disappearance of the Sauter children. Holy shit. That's crazy. So I was watching an episode of Criminal Minds recently, and this guy was, like, using kids' cell phones to, like, basically he would hack into them and he would play something that would give them the subliminal messages. Yes! Where they would leave. Okay, so, like, it's almost like that. Yes! I mean, obviously, they didn't have cell phones, but, you Damn, know, you're like, far behind. Whatever. <laughs> but, yes. I'm always behind on TV. But, yeah. So, I'm like, like what? I don't know. It's fucking crazy. And what did he do in his past life that he got half his kids taken? And why did they only take half? And why was it? But it's like, if they're like, okay, we're going to go in and get them. But then it's like, oh, shit. What if it was someone to rob him or, like, Just say the life insurance guy. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm going to show him. I'll, you know, like, steal Mm -hmm. something valuable. Well, the kids are still up. Yeah. Because all the kids are supposed to be in bed. It's It's fucking Christmas Eve. mm -hmm, And they're still up. And what if they saw him or them? And so they're like, fuck, we got to get them. But then they can't kill them because they're criminals, but they have... You know, a heart. Yeah. I mean, even the Grinch got a heart on mm-hmm. Christmas, so. It grew four times. <laughs> so. Hmm. But it's like, they were old enough. It's not like it was an infant. So, she didn't know any better of, hey, this is my mom, you know? Right. But what if they were in Italy? It's not Facebook era. Yeah. So, they can't just be like. Help. Yeah, like. My family's over here, you know, help, especially because they speak English. Right. I don't know, but I want to hear everyone's opinion. Yes. Y'all tell us, send it in or tell us on the Facebook group or whatever, but tell us what you think. And tell us what you think of, I'm so sorry. Oh my God. <laughs> Weeping Willow. <laughs> oh my God. That was a good story. I hey, I like both of ours. Mm-hmm. I cannot get over that we both did wintertime stories and, like, mm-hmm. two winter holidays. Apparently, we're on the same wavelength. I know. All right. The time you've all been waiting for. Da-da-da-da. Okay. The time I was almost murdered didn't actually happen. No. <laughs> um, Mine's not really, like, I guess, I don't really have, like, a close call or anything like that. But I have a growing up in late 80s, early 90s where you just kind of 
did like you went outside and played and rode your bike and all that. Yeah. And you didn't come home till it was dark. Yeah. So my sister Casey and then our next door neighbor Shannon and I would we would go ride our bikes all everywhere, and especially during like the summer, because we were. Well, Shannon's parents were teachers, so her parents were home. So she was home during the summer. And then we had Kelly, who took care of us. But we would just go riding bikes. Like, we would cross the highway to go to the gas station to, like, get candy and stuff. Yeah. And Mom and Dad never knew we were crossing the highway. Yeah. Like, on our bikes, a main highway. Mm-hmm. You know, anyway. Meanwhile, my mom was like, hey, when y'all go up to the store... Get me blah blah blah. Yeah, and we were crossing like the main road in pedal. Though. Yeah. Oh Lord. But so we should have gotten run ran over. Yeah. But we also like knew like we would just like knock on people's doors and like chat with them. Oh my god. There was a um. There was this house that had like I don't, I guess you would call it a, like a a playhouse like on the property, but uh-huh. it was like a two story. Oh, she she. But the, but I don't think the first floor was anything. It may have just you just had to climb up yeah. the steps to get to it. But anyway, it was like a playhouse thing. Mm-hmm. And so me and Casey and Shannon just were like knocked on the door. What y'all doing with your playhouse? <laughs> and I don't even remember if it was a man or a woman who answered, but they said like apparently their kid was like starting a band, and so they were going to practice out there. <laughs> we were like, okay, if they don't want it, let us know. <laughs> well. <laughs> I don't know. We were going to make a, our own playhouse. You were definitely looking for a yard sale. I mean. <laughs> so that's really it. Like, we just, again, we knew everybody in the neighborhood. We would, again, we would just, like, knock on fucking doors yeah. and be like, hey. No, that's definitely, you sh- could have been murdered. Yeah, should have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Come on in, my precious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, we'll, we'll take you back there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. All right. What about you? Okay. Tiffany, get ready. Oh, shit. Telling all her shit. No. I'm telling her favorite story. No. Yes. Oh, shit. (laughs) Tiffany, (laughs) y'all. Tiffany loves this story. She would make Miss Patty tell this story (laughs) all the fucking time. Yes. I need, actually, I need Tiffany here. She'll, Tiffany, fill in the blanks in the group. (laughs) I'll fill in what I can. Okay. All right. We all know that I'm a mama's girl. And how it was, we were a lot of people in a fucking small house. It was my mom, my dad, who worked offshore. So he wasn't always there. My brother, my oldest sister, Lori, and her boyfriend, basically husband, Alan. All right. So a lot of people. But me and my brother stayed in one room because it was a three-bedroom house. Yeah. Well, There was a double bed and a single bed. And my mama would have to do musical beds because my brother's like, sleep with me. And I'm like, no, sleep with me. You know? Mm -hmm. Imagine that. And my mom was like, go sleep in your fucking bed. (laughs) Well, so I was dead asleep one night and I was on the single bed. And I heard the door close. And in my state of mind, I guess, I woke up and I was dead devastated oh sidebar she was four i was five okay she was five yeah like barely five no front teeth no front teeth yeah that makes the story even better but okay so i 
Like, freak out. My mama has left me without saying goodbye. Like, oh my gosh, my life is over. So, I, Fred Flintstone walk into the living room, open, like, unlock the door, and go out. I know that someone's gone because we have a top, like, the, I don't know what kind of light, like a... A chain. Yeah, chain lock. Good God. And that's undone, and we always locked it. So, I'm like, she left. So, I go... You also heard a car crank. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That I guess that's where I'm like, oh, okay. Probably was like, oh, she's in the bathroom. Oh, fuck. Yeah, um, you heard the door, and then you heard the car crank. Okay, so I'm like, all right, my sister and my mom owned a store. Remember the one that sold dildos and mm-hmm. woodwork? Mm-hmm. Both types of woodwork? Mm-hmm. And it was, how far is that? Like a block? Two blocks? No, that's like a mile. Oh, well, all right, so picture this. It's early in the fucking morning. Like... Still dark outside. Like 4 a.m. early. Yeah. I am in my New Kids on the Block t-shirt. That's all I have because it's like a long mm-hmm. shirt. I think I had shoes. I I don't know. I mean, now me, I'm like, oh, God. That's mm-hmm. probably why I'm like that. But I'll walk. And this is at the main fucking road in the town that we grew up in. Well, I'll walk down it. I get halfway there and there's a church. Well, a cop pulls up. And I'm like, oh, fuck. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, and all I'm trying to do is get to my mama. And he is like, hey, where are you going? What are you doing? And I'm like, dibbly in, balls <laughs> Because I don't have my front teeth. And, <laughs> and he's like, what? <laughs> and he's like, okay, where? And I'm like, my mama, it's gone. Like, my mama, my mama. And he's like, okay, you need to tell me where. And so I, and so I tell him, okay, I can take you. It's straight this way. Mm -hmm. We pull up and we're in front of the shop. No one's there. Yeah. Simply Irresistibles is the name of the the store. Yes. And so he... He calls into the police station, all right? So here's where the story of me ends right now. Because my sister and my mom were up in the dining room drinking coffee. And they hear a dispatch come on because, again, my mom had the police scanner scanner right by the dining room table. And it's like... A little girl is saying that her mom works at Simply Irresistibles. And Lori's like, is that Donna? (laughs) And my mom said, no, she's in there asleep. And Lori was like, "Mm, okay. And he said, she's repeating that her mom works at Simply Irresistibles. So my mom's like, let me go fucking check. You know, like this is stupid. Goes in. I'm not there. And what's what's so stupid is that my mom was in the bed with my brother. If I would have just looked over, Mm -hmm. I would have saw two lumps in a fucking bed. You know? You were five. You can't reason. No. I I mean, you did a lot of fucking reasoning. (laughs) Okay, the latch is gone. I heard a car. My mom is gone. You know? Yes. Well, so the dispatch is like, 
Okay. The lady who works there lives, because we lived right across the street from Literally, the police department. I could throw a rock into the police yes. department from her old house. And so they're like, we know them. They live right across the street. Like, bring her home. So my mom and Lori are like about to head out the door. I come pulling up. Tiffany is getting ready to go to school at this point. And she said she sees like a police car down at my house. And she's like, what the fuck? Because, I mean. They live two doors down. Yeah. So, I am, like, bawling. Like, I thought you left me. Yeah. Mm-mm. No, no. But I got to pick up. I mean, I got picked up by a fucking cop. And yeah, you got to ride in a police car. Yes. But I remember, like, being so nervous that, like, I was going to touch his gun. Really? Yes. I don't know why. Also, to kind of put the pieces together, she heard Alan leave for work, which yeah. is why somebody did leave. And she did hear a car crank because it was him leaving for work because he had worked at like a plant or something. Yeah. He'd be there like ass crack a dawn. Yes. Yes. And why my sister was up is because she had just got home because they worked same place, different shifts. Mm-hmm. And so my mom was up with her. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, you know. Yeah, but the whole thing is that my mom, my, Lori, I could just hear it. Lori being like, that sounds like Donna. And my mom's like, no, she's in the fucking bed. Yes. No, no. I think, too, what makes this story so wonderful, though, was how Patty Joe told it. Oh, God, yes. Because she would do the Donna accent <laughs> or the, well, no teeth talk. Yes. And... She just was such a good storyteller. Yes, she was. Can you imagine, though, like, literally, I have to find a picture, because I actually have a picture of me in that shirt. hmm But this little short-ass girl, little short chubby girl, in a mm-hmm. white New Kids on the Block shirt, walking up. At probably 4.30 in the morning. Yes. Maybe 5 at this point. Yeah. And, you know, I mean... Bless that cop's heart. Like, mm-hmm. what? And you know, I was probably like, <laughs> I was a weepy fucking caller. I know. me, And you know, he was probably a little panicked, too, oh, though, when he saw this child walking. <laughs> like. Because, oh, because to kind of speak to the times, at four years old, I have a card that is a, like, kid identification card. Like, in case of abduction. Yeah. And it had my picture and it had height, weight, all the things. Yeah. And so that was, I mean, right. They, I mean, because that was for my four-year-old. So if yeah. you were just right at turning five. Yeah. I really think I was five because I didn't go to school because of that. But I could have been four. If you, But you would have because yeah. you, like, you went to school at five. So you had to have been four. Yeah. So... Oh, God. But, I I mean, I remember that. Like, you know what I mean? I remember that freak out mode. But then, like, I, like, it was just a normal day then. But, like, what the fuck? It's crazy that you were scared you were going to touch his gun. Mm Mm-hmm. I I don't know. I think because I thought I was in trouble. Probably. You know, and, like, again, I never got in trouble. So, it was, like. You didn't. Oh, my God. But, yeah. Can you believe that my mom, like, would let me and Tiffany, not now, like, not at four, but, I mean, probably five, like, go up to the corner store, like, mm-hmm. or not the corner, like, Fred's. Mm-hmm. We'd go up to Fred's. Which is 
right next to Simply Irresistibles. Yeah, right next to there. But we'd go up there get the dollar wet and wild polish and shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like I, it's just so funny of that big thing. I guess because my mom knew, like I was only looking for her. Yeah, it wasn't like screw you guys. Yeah, you didn't like run away. Yeah. But, like, she's like, eh, go ahead, play in the street, do whatever. But, well, oh, shit, hold on. Oh, sorry. I have another one real quick. Something I thought was creepy at the time, but, like, looking back on, like, let's not meet. Mm -hmm. There is this lady who, I I don't know her, but she would ride on a bike in our neighborhood, and she would holler out at me every time, and she'd say, hey, little Donna. (laughs) Every time she would pass and Tiffany would be like, what is that? Who is that? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, I think she knew my mom for some, but like, I never talked to this lady. She probably met your mom yard selling or something. Probably. But she'd be like, hey, little Donna. Every time. Because again, we were like in the central hub and there mm-hmm. was a, a, a library that she would ride to. Mm-hmm. But like. How creepy, like, sitting on the front porch, and it's, like, this lady that I don't fucking know. Yeah. Being like, hey, little Donna. Like, I know Tiffany can hear it right now. Yeah. Because it was like, what? Every time. Dang. But, you know, all of these stories, though, we didn't die because we lived in a small town. Yes. I mean, not that shit doesn't happen in a small town, because hello. Yeah. But, I mean, that's the only reason. Yes. That's the reason why we still alive. But now, if that happened today, there's so many... Like, I mean, I know it was, because, I mean, fuck, all the stories we tell are from, like, the 70s, the 80s, you know? And, Mm -hmm. I mean, of course, we go before then, too, but it's not like it's any worse now. It's Mm -hmm. just... I think people are more brazen. Maybe. You know, like... Well, and I think it's almost like that mob mentality where... You don't, like, you mind your own business, like, mm-hmm. you know. Someone else to call about yes, that. Yes, yes. Yeah. That's so true. Ugh. But, yeah. Crazy. Crazy. Hey, little Donna. <laughs> All right, little Donna. Dibbly-dibbles. <laughs> On that note, remember. <laughs> Creep it real. And, and don't, don't get, get scared. scared.